Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. The title of the message is Resurrections Are Real. The reason that word resurrections is plural is because we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the holiday memorializes. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something in the past that we are still taking advantage of. And because of that, we're living this blessed life. But the Bible speaks of another resurrection that's coming in the future. And what Jesus did by coming back to life, he started this chain of events And at some point, there's another resurrection coming, and you and I are going to be right in the middle of that one. So we we can only think back about what happened in the past on Jesus' resurrection, but we're going to have a front row seat. We're going to be right in the middle involved in this next one. And according to the Bible, it says it's coming really, really soon. And so we need to be thinking about that, and we need to let the story unfold in its wholeness so we can know what God's planning and preparing for us. But let me talk first about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I did a little bit of homework, and according to the 2020 statistics, I was pretty excited that they put those out, because usually they'll wait a couple of years. But according to the 2020 statistics, 77% of the U.S. population uh, celebrated Easter in some fashion, and that's down 8%, but they were just, you know, pleasantly surprised that in spite of all the COVID restrictions and the craziness that was just starting to unfold around Easter time last year, that still 70, 77% of the U.S. population uh, celebrated. Now, that doesn't mean that they were like totally focused on it and, you know, they're passionately in. A, a lot of it, the study went on to say that a lot of them, you know, were still a little more preoccupied with spring break and the great weather and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, their, their pastel outfits and Easter egg hunts and, and how do we do the family dinner, you know. They, they were still, you know, really preoccupied by that. Not a bad thing, by the way. God loves all those things. But One thing that was true that they held their study is that every single one of them at least paused, at least stopped in some way, shape, or fashion to acknowledge that Jesus really rose from the dead. He's really alive. Now, that's a really great thing to acknowledge, especially when you go on and you look at the other side of the poll, and the Gallup's poll took that on, and they looked and they said 84% of non-church people non-believing people. These are anywhere from agnostics to atheist people that they're not even sure God exists. But 84% of those people believe in the resurrection. And you're like, what? Well, they, they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And they don't believe the resurrection carries the significant eternal weight that we know is true. But they don't argue with the resurrection. They said, no, but we will admit that happened. And you say, well, why is that? Why, why is that true? Because listen, the, just like the birth of Jesus and the actual death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection is a historical fact. It's not just something we read in our Bible and we kind of cling to, you know, by faith, but it's a historical fact. That didn't happen in secret. When that happened, all of Jerusalem knew about it. Pretty soon, all the Roman Empire knew about it. And pretty soon, all of the globe understood 
that Jesus somehow, some way, really came back to life. In fact, there's at least 15 historical references by historians of the day that all document the fact that Jesus was seen, Jesus was talked to, Jesus ate with people, Jesus met with people after the resurrection, and these are like eyewitness affidavits accounts that said, no, no, we, we, we were there, we, we saw him, he really came back to life. In fact, one documents what the Bible talks about, that Jesus met with a group of over 500 people. And some 50 years later, when Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, he references that. He says, hey, by the way, what I'm talking about, Jesus being alive, I know some of you know it firsthand because some of you were actually there. And you're in the Corinthian church now. You were actually there 50 years ago. You were part of this 500. Not only that, but sometimes we gloss over this, but in Matthew chapter 27, uh, the, the, the Bible talks about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross and during that Easter resurrection weekend, that other resurrections took place, that graves actually came open, and after Jesus uh, was resurrected, family members and friends actually came back to life and went to their, to their family's house. I mean, knocked on the door and somebody opened the door, Grandma? I mean, we went to your funeral like a decade ago, but grandma's back to tell them, hey, listen, uh, Jesus really is the Lord. This is real. He really is the Lord. He really did rise from the dead. And so this, this is a truth that any, and pardon me for saying it this way, any intelligent person around the world, nobody's arguing about this anymore. This is, this is a fact This is documented, and it really happened. And listen, everybody knows it. But that's today. That's 2,000 years later. But we we rewind all the way back to when it was happening. That wasn't the case. I want to say everyone, but I'll say most in case we don't, you know, have some account of some real faithful person that was dialed in. Listen to me, certainly the vast majority of everyone, including Jesus' disciples, including those that walked with him diligently and were with him right up to the wire of the crucifixion, most of those were skeptical. And you're saying, how? Why why would they be skeptical? Because resurrections are impossible. I mean, people just don't die and then just three days later just say, hey, I'm back. That, That doesn't happen. I mean, ever. And so Jesus actually would tell them, no, this is what's going to happen. But listen, these are the guys that were with him right up to the minute, and they still didn't buy into it until after Jesus died, until after Jesus rose again, and they got to connect with him. In fact, listen to what the Gospel of John chapter 20 says in verse 8. It says, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, let, let me just stop, Mary Magdalene was so grieved and just was so mourning that Jesus had died that she couldn't sleep all night. So she woke up before the sun even came up, and she went down to the graveyard. And she just wants to be there close to his grave, and she's crying, and she's upset. But when she gets there, the the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty, and she's like, what in the world? And she didn't know what else to do, so she runs and tells to the disciples, and she didn't even get it out of her mouth, and Peter and John are out of their chair, and they're out the door, and they're running as fast as they can to 
to, to the cemetery, right? Now, John's a little younger, and so he's a little faster, and so he gets there first, but John's also a little more cautious, and so he's like, I ain't going in there, so he's kind of looking and seeing what's happening, and Peter, the impetuous one, blows right by him, jumps right into the tomb, and he's the first one to say, oh, he, he's not here, he's not here, and then John comes in, and this is where we get the story. It says, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, that was John, But he went in later, also went in. So Peter went in first, and he saw, listen, and then he believed. Now listen to verse 9. It says, for or because until then, they, which is all the disciples, still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise rise from the dead. Now the New Testament wasn't printed, so the scriptures they're talking about is Old Testament prophecy. Which might lead you to think, well, yeah, but come on. You read the Old Testament, some of that stuff's hard to understand. You're like, what, wait, what, what? I mean, it's hundreds of years earlier, so it's hard to understand. But hold on, that was only the baseline that Jesus used to help them. Jesus, on four occasions, that was recorded in all four documents, uh, 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 Gospels, which means all four of uh, of the main disciples heard it. And they wrote about this. Jesus, on four occasions, actually told them, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be killed, but three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. The first time was in John chapter 2, and pretty early on, they went to the temple, and they were going to pray, and they were going to worship. But Jesus walked in, and it was like a spiritual flea market. I mean, they're just promoting all kinds of paraphernalias and all kinds of things. And, and, and there was no emphasis on prayer, no emphasis on worship. And Jesus like, this ain't right. And so the Bible says that Jesus just kind of cleared it out, man. He turned the tables over. He said, get that stuff out of here. And and he put things back in order. Well, the the leaders of the temple were hot. And they came to Jesus and said, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to do this? And Jesus said, I'm God's son. And they were incensed. They're like, that's blasphemy. They say, prove it. And Jesus said, I will. At some point in the not too distant future, you guys right here are going to kill me. But three days after you do, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he did it. He actually did the exact thing that he said was going to happen. Now, we'll fast forward to the week of the crucifixion that we just celebrated leading up to Good Friday and now Easter. And Jesus leaned in and began to talk to his disciples about this with much greater detail. And he's telling them, guys, I'm telling you, this is, what, this is where we're headed. We're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover, and it's going to seem like this is the greatest thing in the world. But let me tell you what's going to happen before this is over. I, I'm going to be killed. And he said, and I want you to be prepared for this because it's going to be hard for you to respond. He's trying to prep them. He's trying to help them know this is what's coming. But they still didn't buy into it. And so at at the end of this whole thing, Jesus has died, and he's now risen from the dead, and every single one of his followers were skeptical. I mean, these were guys that front row seat, but they didn't believe it until they talked to him, until they got to hug him, until they got to touch him, until they got to eat a meal with him, uh, until until they got to, you know, be around him for a while and say, yeah, that's Jesus, all right, he really is alive, and then they finally believed it. Now, I'm pointing all that out because this is so important for us to understand bringing this forward to today. And here's here's where it's important. Just like back then, it's challenging sometimes to believe when the Word of God tells you something, but it looks in the natural, that's impossible. There's no way that can ever happen. And come on, that's outrageous. There's no way. And these guys struggled with that too. 
But the resurrection for us establishes some really important things that helps us to win that challenge every single time. We can look at things in the natural, in our life, in the circumstances around the world, and we can say it's impossible. It's over. It's too late. The week that never, that thing's died, that dreams died, that relationships died, that opportunities died. There's no way it's possible. And God says, no, no, but I'll bring things back to life for you. I know it's impossible, but trust me in this. This is what I promise you I will do. And the resurrection just opens our eyes and gives us six guarantees just in rapid succession that helps us to begin to learn how to live by a different rhythm. To know that Jesus didn't die just because that was a really cool thing. He didn't die just because that helps us to get to heaven. Jesus died so that you and I can live a victorious life right down here all the way till we get to heaven. And here's six things that will help us to prove this. Now, let me just prep you. The first three are going to be kind of quick because they have to do with who Jesus is. And then the next three, we'll just kind of expand it just a little bit. Uh, So if you like to take notes, you'll want to get ready and write some things. So number one. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, lots of people, you know, will say, well, yeah, he was a good man, and he was even a good leader, and he was even maybe a a good teacher and a good prophet. But listen to me, you really can't make those claims if you don't go on and you don't also acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God. And I'll tell you why, because Jesus made some pretty bold statements. We'll start with the resurrection The same guy that said, no, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me. But three days later, not at some point, he'll give you the exact time. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. That same guy that made that outrageous claim made some other outrageous claims like, I am God's son. And by the way, if you ever want to have a relationship with God and get to heaven, you've got to come through me. There's no other way to go. Listen, either Jesus was a raving lunatic And he had this like split personality thing going on. Or Jesus is actually who he claimed to be. And the resurrection demonstrates if one thing's true, if the most outrageous thing he said is true, then it's all true. And Jesus proved to himself, or proved to the world rather, when he rose from the dead, just like he promised that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Here's number two, that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. We love to read in the Gospels and, and, and the miracles and the healings. Those are historically documented too. So it's not just stuff that is made up so that we can be really inspired. Those are historically documented. And Jesus did some outrageous miracles. I mean, we're not talking common cold. We're talking amputees. You know, the arm grew back out again. We're talking people that have been blind since they were born. All of a sudden, their eyes open and they can see. People that were lame uh, and couldn't walk, you know, disabled, paraplegic since they were born. And all of a sudden, you know, they're picking up their stuff and walking home. This is incredible. But the other stuff, the, the wonders, the things that make you go, wait, what? Jesus walks across the top of the water in the middle of a storm. I mean, shore to shore, he just strolls right across the top. On two occasions, Jesus feeds thousands of people. Uh, the Bible lists 3,000 and then 5,000 scholars you know, will, will advance that and say, no, no, they're not counting women and children. We could be up to fifteen to 25,000 people, and he did it with one Happy Meal. And he had leftovers. I mean, that's just stuff that's impossible. And Jesus did that. But listen carefully. Everything Jesus did in the Gospels was a preamble. It was just to get your attention. It was just to ramp up to what he was really about to do because he was going to pay the price for redemption. 
and he was literally going to come back to life, and everybody in the world knows it now. It's not an argument. And he did that so that you would understand that Jesus is the same today that he was back then, and he'll do the impossible in your life. He just kept this going and pushed it all the way to eternity. Listen, the resurrection undisputedly promises that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. In fact, that's one of the last things he said to the disciples. He said, before he went to the Father, he said, all authority has been given to me now. And I want you to go to every nation on the face of the earth, and I want you to tell them this. And I want you to make disciples. I want you to say, listen, you got to follow Jesus. you got to get your life in line with Jesus because he has the power that he claimed to be. Here's number three, that Jesus does what he promised he would do. Listen, if he kept the most impossible promise ever, and he literally came back to life, he was literally dead for three days, and he literally came back to life, Jesus establishes this baseline of trust. If he can do that, and if he will do that just the way he said, then Jesus becomes the ultimate promise keeper. Like I already mentioned this, but uh, the author of chapter, of chapter 13 in Hebrews highlights this by saying, you need to understand Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and you look out into your future, Jesus will be the same all the way forever through eternity. If he promised he would do something, you can rely on that. So the three things that the resurrection establishes, they're undisputable. Because it's historical fact, they're just indisputable. He is who he claimed to be. He has the power he claimed to have. He does what he promised he would do. And if those three are true, then here's three other Bible guarantees that unfold throughout the the New Testament especially that helps us to realize these are also true and we can bank our life on it even though they seem impossible. In our own personal circumstances, we can say, nope, But the resurrection was impossible too, and it happens, and so these are possible too. So uh, in the list of six, here's number four, Jesus will forgive your past. And I don't mean he'll just overlook some mistakes. I don't mean he'll just say, well, you know, okay, I'm I'm just not going to really focus on that one because I know you meant well. I mean completely wipe it out forever so that you don't have to live with the memory of guilt the memory of shame. You don't ever have to feel embarrassed to go before the Lord. You don't ever have to wonder if, man, does he want to see me today? Does he want to talk to me? The answer is always yes, because he'll completely forgive your past. But as a pastor, I can't tell you how many, how many times over the years I've talked to people and they've said, you know, Pastor Gil, geez, I, I don't want to say this in front of everybody, but it's kind of embarrassing. You don't understand. I've done some really bad things. I mean, things that I'm just, I don't even want to tell you. I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated. And by the way, I didn't just do them once. I have a pattern. I, I gave my life to the Lord, and then I did them again. And I gave my life, and then I did them again. It's like, I, I just, I'm in this trap, and, and, but, and I just keep doing them. And I'm super embarrassed about that. And, and I have the privilege at that point of helping them to understand, listen to me, you're giving yourself way too much credit. Because I think that you think you're a better sinner than Jesus is a Savior. Not possible. Not possible. Listen, you're not better at sinning than Jesus is at saving. This is what he does. He's the master rescuer. And this is why he came, because all of us were stuck in this trap. And we couldn't get out of it by ourselves. And Jesus came and he said, but I'm the premier first responder. 
I am the rescuer. I can rescue and save anything and anyone as long as that you will let me do that. And so when Jesus talks about forgiving your past, I'm talking complete. There's so many scriptures about this. Let me just give you two quickly in the New Testament. Colossians 2.14 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, he canceled the record of the charges against us. Canceled as in he expunged your record. And it goes on, he says, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In other words, if someone happened to go looking and they somehow were able to find some trace of what you've done wrong, the only possible way they could find it is it'd be nailed to the cross. And when they looked at that, they think, oh, never mind. I'm just not going to point that out because I can see what God did there. But listen to me, if you were able to go into heaven, into the courts of heaven, and they exist... And somehow you were able to find, you know, the filing clerk and you say, hey, I'd just like you to pull my file. I, I just, you know, kind of want to see what, you know, what, what I did and what I haven't done and kind of, you know, good versus bad. And they'd pull your file and open it up. And on, on the bad column, it would be nothing but clean white paper. He literally took the handwriting off. Nobody can ever accuse you of that again. I know that you have an enemy, and I know your own conscience, until it gets completely purged, your own conscience will remind you of that constantly, but God doesn't remember that. God says, nope, I, I cleaned it, I expunged your record completely. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a brand new person. Other translations say new creation. And in case you didn't understand that, he he expands it. He says, the old life is completely gone and the new life has begun. In other words, you're in a whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. You started a brand new life again. And so when we think about what, what this proves, the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus will really completely forever expunge our past, wipe it out so that he sees us as completely clean and righteous, good, upstanding children, upstanding citizens in heaven. That's the way Jesus sees us. And in fact, listen to me, how many of you just in a moment here would just raise your hand and say, listen, when, when I got born again, sometimes right there at the, at the beginning, but sometimes you kind of grow into this awareness as you purge, you know, the, the guilt and the condemnation off of you. But how many of you would honestly, on Easter Sunday, you would raise your hand and say, I literally feel different. I literally could notice a difference when I, when I accepted Christ and began to walk with the Lord. It's like this weight. It's like this heavy cloud just lifted off of me. And, and I literally could feel a brand new life that I was stepping into. How many of you would you raise your hand and you would say that this morning? Now see, look, I, most of you in here have got your hand up. And listen to me, that helps us to see something. Jesus forgives your past, and that's not a secret, by the way. It's not a secret. Everybody knows this. Now, when you're wrestling with your own, you're not really sure how that's going to happen. Ah, I, I just I did those things, and how can he not remember that? And, and how can I not remember that? But listen to me, Jesus literally will forgive and wipe it out. That's not a secret. You ask Christians today, and they say, no, 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 I, I actually experienced that. Some have experienced it more than once. And they're not alone because over the last 2,000 years, billions of other people have said the same thing have written in their journals, have written books about the glorious forgiveness of God and starting over again. This is not a secret. Everybody knows this. 
but it does seem like it's impossible if you're the one walking through it. So that's number four. Here's number five. Jesus will help you overcome present challenges. And I'm talking everything from these personal weaknesses and habits and addictions and, and parts of you that, you know, you don't want anybody to know. You don't even want to know, but they're, they're real. All the way to the, to the outward circumstances that are on display for everybody that you're working through and you're trying to get better at or you're trying to, to get out, out from under those things. Listen, Jesus will help you in your present circumstances. And when I say help, I don't mean barely hang on. I don't mean, hey, you just need to stay steadfast, but one day in heaven, it's going to be really great. Jesus talks about the fact that there's an overcoming life, that you can have victory, that people will look at your life and say, how did you get through that? How did you get on the other side? How are you doing that? Because Jesus helps people right here today. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in church and every Easter, you know, we, we, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And, and I knew that and I would celebrate that. But I thought that Jesus is alive was like grandma's alive. She died, but now she's alive in heaven. And it took me years for it to finally dawn on me. No, no, that, that's not what we're celebrating at all. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus came back to life right here on earth. Like what helped me is to think about, it would be like if I was one of the disciples and you know, one of my friends said, hey, listen, I, I, need, to, I need to share something with you. It's not really gonna be great news, but I need you to prepare you and it'll end good. So here, here's the deal. Uh, I'm gonna die like really soon here. And when I do, it's going to freak you out how it happens, and it's not going to be real pretty. But I just want you to know, you know, hang on there, because when you get to the memorial service, I'm going to get out of the casket. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, you're going to be at the memorial service. Everybody's going to be crying, and then right somewhere in the middle of it, I'm just going to sit up, and I'm going to climb out of that thing, and you're going to see I'm still alive. Yeah, and, but listen to me, the reality is that's exactly what Jesus did. The resurrection is not just some spiritual thing that happened up in the cosmos somewhere. The resurrection happened, Jesus came back to life right here on earth. And he hung around for a while, letting everybody know it, meeting with these people, so they would see that he did this right here on earth. And the reason that's important, because there's a lot of people that get religious, and they believe in the Bible, but it's all spiritual. They don't really believe that Jesus will help people right here and right now. Okay, well, some people. Some people he will, like whenever he kind of gets it in his heart and he wants to do it, then he will. But there's no guarantee that Jesus is going to help everybody who believes him, everybody who trusts him all the time. And I would argue with that and say, absolutely there is. The promises of the word of God start the conversation and the resurrection finishes it. Jesus brings things back to life, not just in eternity forever. Jesus does the impossible right here, right now. In fact, I would even argue that most of you already know that and have kind of walked down this trail somewhere in your Christianity, even though you may not have connected the dots. But, but let me just kind of, we'll, we'll just do an informal little experiment here. Uh, how many of you, you can raise your hand on this one, it's easy. How many of you have ever heard of this thing called the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, see, most of you in here, uh, probably all of you, but I didn't do a quick scan. Um, but listen, the Lord's Prayer is a good prayer, right? It's an honest prayer. It's Jesus' prayer, so how are you going to challenge that? He said, this is how to pray. In fact, I, I would bet that the majority of you have probably prayed it so many times that you have most of it memorized. I could be wrong, 
But let's just do a little experiment, and we're just going to say the Lord's Prayer together. So say it with me at the same time. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Stop. Now pay attention to this next line that you've been praying for years now. Ready? On earth as it is in heaven. Now, nobody's arguing with the fact that heaven's a wonderful place, that heaven's a blessed place, that heaven's a place where people live lives of victory and lives of joy. And Jesus just taught us this prayer that many of us have been praying almost our whole lives, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, the same way that it's happening in heaven, yet do it right here on earth. But somehow, then we disconnect and say, yeah, but that's probably not going to happen. If, if you really believe that's not going to happen and God's kind of this arbitrary, yeah, well, if he's in a good mood, if he's not in a good mood, if you've been a good little boy, good little girl, if you haven't been a good little boy, good little girl, if you really believe there's this wobbly variance like that, then you have to wonder if that's happening in heaven. And if you really believe, nope, not in heaven, but just here on earth, then here's my loving, warm suggestion on this Resurrection Sunday. Stop praying prayers that you don't believe in. Stop saying words that you already know. Well, I'm going to pray this prayer, but, you know, between you and me, it's not going to work. Then why pray the prayer? You know that. He knows that. Let's just do something else. But we keep praying this prayer. And by the way, I'm recommending you keep praying the prayer. But pay attention to the way Jesus said to pray because this is real. Jesus helps people right here and right now. Jesus wants to do what's absolutely impossible. In fact, how many of you, again, would raise your hand and you would say, you know, Pastor Gil, now that you're mentioning it, there's been times in my life where it just looked impossible. I thought, we're done. We're done. There's no solutions left. We're going down this time. We don't know how to recover from this. And somehow, some way, God did an amazing thing and we got over the top of it. How many of you raise your hand and say, I've experienced that? Yeah, I can raise both my hands and my legs too because we've experienced it over and over again. But listen to me, you see hands going up. This is not a secret. It looked impossible but God did the impossible. It's not a secret. Everybody knows this and you're not by yourself. For 2,000 years, billions of people have said the same thing. It was impossible. Some of them involving nations. Some of them involving generations. Some of them involving impossible obstacles. And yet they said, I don't know how he did it, but God just did. Listen, this is not a secret. Everybody knows this, but it looked impossible at the time, and they just said, well, I don't know what else to do, so we're just going to trust God, and God did what he said, because Jesus helps people right here in earth in their practicals. Here's the last one, and it's really, really important, and that is that Jesus will secure our future. Now, that's super important if you're paying attention into the world we live in today, because it's just getting crazy. It is. And by the way, the Bible told us it was going to, right? It said the deeper we get into the last days, times are going to be perilous, they're going to be dangerous, there's going to be chaotic. It's kind of, you know, gets to, feels like it's every man for himself and it's, there's wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and crazy things happening. But the other thing is interesting is that Jesus came and said, but listen, if you're following me, I don't want you to be afraid. You, you, it, it's going to be kind of like, 
what in the world? But I want you to grab that and don't be afraid because here's two things. Number one, the word of God will never fail. It'll never change. It has the power to do exactly what it promised it would do. And he will keep us and preserve us. And just to make sure that we know that and we can be helped through that, the Holy Spirit came and he said, I'm with you guys until the very end. I'll never leave you. I'll show you the truth and I'll walk every step of the way with you. We got this. We can overcome this. And so we, ha- we have to kind of hold those two in balance. In fact, maybe you can shared, shed some light on it for me, but in all the study I've done, I can't find one person, one organization in the entirety of the history of the world that will make the promise Jesus did. And that is that through him, you can overcome and you can live in the middle of a chaotic situation with full confidence, my best days are still in front of me. Somehow, some way, God's going to do what he promised he would do. And my brightest days, my best days are still in front of me. This is because of the resurrection. But, but listen to me, the, the grand climax of this is even better than that. And that is that Jesus promised, he said, and, and before this thing just crashes and burns, he said, don't worry, if you're following me, I'm going to come back and get you. And that's happening really soon. I mean, the Bible shows us it's happening. It could happen before we get out of Resurrection Sunday. This is happening really, really soon. And and it was such a big deal that Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And and so I'm going to kind of read you this one little part because it's super relevant to what we're looking at today. This is what he's talking to now, followers of Christ. And he said, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. So what he's about to tell them, it's wonderful, but it's also a secret. And it doesn't mean that it's super confidential and not everybody can know. It just means not everybody does know this. And so this is something I'm telling you, but not everybody knows this yet. And he goes on and he says, okay, are you ready? Ready for the secret? Because it's shocking. You ready? Here's the secret. We will not all die. We're not all going to die. And right away you're like, wait, what? Of course we are, right? We're human beings. In fact, the Bible actually says in one place that every human being has a time clock and at some point there's an appointed time and they're going to die. And Paul says, no, 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 listen, that's the crazy secret. We're not all going to die. And you're like, what? And he goes on and he says, but we will all be transformed. Now word transform is a really interesting one uh, because it means to change, but really it means to exchange. It means that, that there's a trade that happens. Like, hey, you've got that and I've got this, but right, here we go. Ready? Boom. And all of a sudden, your life is different because we exchange something. And so he says that we'll all be transformed, and then he's going to tell how and when. He says it will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye. Now, that's not really a great translation. That's from the New Living, so we can kind of relate to it and we can understand. But the blink of an eye is too slow. Because you and I can watch somebody, and when they blink their eye, we can see it. The actual word is translated in other other versions of the Bible as a twinkling of an eye. And what that actually means, it's the speed of light that reflects off the eyeball. And as close as science is able to measure that, it's over 983 feet per second. Which means it's so fast... You can't even see it. You can be looking straight at it. Okay, did you see it? No, no, when are you going to do it? I, it just did it. I did it four times. You didn't even see it. It's so fast, the twinkling of an eye. And so Paul said there's going to be this exchange that happens, 
And it's going to happen in a moment. In fact, it's going to be at 983 million feet per second. It's going to happen so fast, he said, there's going to be exchange that happens. And then he goes on, he says, For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. That's a resurrection. It's not talking about they're going to go to, you know, they're just going to go to in some spiritual state. He said, no, in that 983 feet per second, there's an exchange that's going to be made. But just before that exchange is made, they're going to come out of their grave and they're literally going to come back to life just like Jesus did. And that's going to happen super fast. But he goes on and he says this and he says, and listen, we who are living will also be transformed. We're going to experience the exchange, but we don't need to be resurrected because we're not dead. We are still alive, so we don't need to come back to life. Only the people that have already died, they're going to come back to life, and then kind of all of us at the same time, in that 983 feet per second, just, I mean, it's quick, you can't even see it, it's all going to happen. They're going to come back to life, and an exchange is going to be made, and we're going to still be living, so we don't need a resurrection, but an exchange is going to be made, and it it goes on and says, and then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the exchange is we get different bodies. It'll be so fast, you, you, don't even know, you don't even know you're dead. You don't even know what happened. You don't know that the earthly body's not present anymore. All of a sudden, in 983 feet per second, you're in a brand new body. You're in a brand new different existence, a brand new world. He says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will finally be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. And that's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Now, if you've been around church at any point in time, of course, you're recognizing, oh, you're talking about the rapture. But the word rapture is not in the Bible because that's just a Latin term that we've borrowed, and it literally means snatched away. And and it's describing that twinkling of an eye, that 983 feet per second, when when that exchange is made, it's something's just like, it's just grabbed and snatched. But the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that God brings things right here on earth back to life so that then he could bring them into eternal life. And this is exactly what's going to happen. The rapture describes a time before the end of the world where Jesus literally comes back and he snatches his Christians away. He, he pulls them back. Matthew 24 describes it this way. Jesus is talking to his disciples and said, well, let me just tell you this. This is what it's going to be like. There's going to be two people sitting at Starbucks One person will be a believer, a follower of Christ, and the other person might not be. And in a twinkling of an eye, 983 feet per second, all of a sudden, the Christian might be talking. They're going to be right in the middle of a sentence, and then they're gone. Hey, so what I was telling you was the other day, and the non-Christians would be like, where'd they go? What happened? I mean, 983 million feet per second, it's like they were there like one second, and all of a sudden it's gone. Listen to me. This is going to happen simultaneously around the globe. The whole world will not understand it. They'll cer- they certainly weren't ready for it, but everyone will know it. Everyone will know. I don't know what just happened. I have no idea what that means, but it happened. I'm telling you. I'm standing there talking to my, my friend in my yard, and all of a sudden, he's gone. He just left. He's gone. And this is important that we see because the rapture of Jesus Christ is a fact. Nobody's arguing with it. Everybody knows it. It's a fact that happened in the past. But the Bible says the rapture of the church is another fact 
that's happening in our future. And the Bible doesn't tell us this to freak us out or to kind of make things weird. It tells us this so we can understand the reality of the place that we're going so that we can be ready to meet the Lord Jesus when he comes and 983 million feet per second, he just says, all right, it's time, let's go. And he just snatches us away. And this is exactly what's going to happen. In fact, it's such an established fact that the Bible even tells us what will happen after that in the future. You kind of put a puzzle piece, a puzzle together in the New Testament and you find this out. There's going to come a time in the future that every single person that ever lived on the entire face of the earth in the history of mankind will all be standing somewhere in eternity. Now, I, I can't even fathom this, but the Bible pictures it, and so we're all going to be standing in eternity, and we're all going to be facing God's throne. Some of them, some of us, will be Christians who were snatched away and brought home in the rapture, and a lot of people were not. We're all going to be standing in front of God's throne, and in that moment, Jesus is going to step out on the balcony. And the Bible says, every eye will see him. And when that happens, nobody's forcing anybody. Every knee will drop to the ground and every tongue will confess, wow, he really is the Lord. This is real. He's really the Lord. But the sad thing is, for most of those people, it'll be too late. We had this opportunity right here on earth to understand who Jesus is, to understand what he promised he would do. To understand, he's not just telling a story here. This is real. And as real as the resurrection happened, and everybody knows it now, at some point in the future, the very near future, the rapture is going to happen, and everybody will know it. But once it happens, the Bible says, if you hadn't made your decision, it's too late. In fact, Paul writes about this again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he basically goes through the whole explanation because he wants the church at Thessalonica to really understand this. This is real. This is real. And he ends in verse 18 with this, and he says, encourage each other with these words. And I've talked to a lot of Christians. They're like, encourage each other? That's nothing encouraging about that. That's scary stuff. That's weird stuff. I'm a Christian, and I get scared. I get weirded out whenever you're talking about the rapture and how serious it is. And if we miss the rapture, we might be left behind. And I get this lump in my throat. It's super scary. But listen to me. The Bible doesn't say this to scare anybody. The Bible says this to encourage you, to prepare you. For some of you that are struggling right now and you're wondering whether or not that, that, you know, that you're ready for the rapture, it says, well, let's just fix that right here. Let's just remember God will forgive your past and and Jesus loves you and Jesus wants to help you right now in your circumstance and he'll do what he promised you. Let's just make that decision and get back online so that you know that you know. For those of you that, that have been waiting a long time, it's like, man, I've been hearing about this all my life, Pastor Gil. I mean, ever since I was a kid, Jesus coming soon, Jesus coming soon, Jesus coming soon. I'm 58 years old and I've been hearing that all my life. But here's the question is, the fact that we've been hearing that all of our life, does that make it less true or more true? Doesn't that make it closer than ever? And if you're looking at the Bible signals and the Bible signs, we're not getting deep into eschatology and end times. Just look at the baseline ones, and I'm telling you, all the boxes are checked. Jesus could come back today. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower, you get to these challenges in your life, and you're like, Lord, I'm going to get victory, but if you came back today, I'd be okay with that. That's not, that's not me being depressed or discouraged. That's just me realizing, you know what? 
we don't have to mess with all this stuff anymore. But for some of you, it's not encouraging because you're not sure, but you don't have to live with uncertainty. You just have to realize Jesus is real. Nobody's arguing about this. He is who he says he is. He has the power to do what he said he would do. He'll he'll do what he promised every single time. Jesus will forgive anything in your past 10 years ago or five minutes ago. Jesus will completely wipe it clean with a smile on his face. He's the premier rescuer. But not only that, but Jesus will help you come any, overcome any challenge you have right now, and, and he'll secure your future. He will convince you, I'm telling you, starting here, but all the way to there, your best days are still in front of you. That's what the resurrection proves beyond anybody's argument. Jesus really is alive. And if you believe that Jesus is alive, and you haven't confessed him as your Lord and Savior yet, or maybe you haven't done it in a long time, or maybe you're one of those people like, I don't talk about the rapture because that just makes me nervous. Listen, then let's just fix that today. Let's just acknowledge that. And I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. And don't, don't just repeat my prayer. It's not just the words. It's your heart. So use my words, but pray them from your heart. And I promise you that Jesus will come and do exactly what he's done to millions billions of people over 2,000 years. Jesus will save you. Jesus will begin to help you. And Jesus will develop your life so that you can live in joy and victory till we all go to be with him. Bow your head and close your eyes and uh, just repeat this after me. In fact, let's everybody repeat it. Some of you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, let's repeat it as a memorial and a thank, thanksgiving to God that he heard that prayer and he still acknowledges that. Let's all say this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're God's son, that you died on the cross, that you rose again on the third day, and you really are alive. I believe that you will forgive my sins, every single one of them, and I'm asking you to do that right now. Become my savior. I need a lot of work, but help me in every area from the inside to the outside to be someone that you're pleased with. I thank you in Jesus' name that you're faithful and you'll do just what you promised. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.